We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by BlueWire. I am your host, Billy Marshall. And as always, joined by my co-host, John Ellis. John, how are you this evening? Hey, Bill, I'm good, man. Uh, through another season. Here we go. Uh, regular season's upon us uh, in terms of uh, the completion and uh, interesting way to finish, no doubt. And a lot of decisions ahead for this team. So I'm glad to be back with you, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't want. We don't want to spend too much time recapping the game. No. Um, in terms of you know its relevance to the franchise, it didn't really mean much. Um, well, it didn't mean much uh, outside of uh, maybe one or two draft slots. Um, it could have been potentially uh, more interesting if the Rams would have won, uh, but they didn't. Uh, but yeah, going into it, the Saints weren't playing for anything. The Panthers weren't playing for anything. Um, both teams went out there and uh, they completed a regular season football game. Uh, that's just the way it is. Week 18 in the NFL, um, you're going to have situations uh, where games are uh, division titles and playoffs on the line. And you're going to have games like this where it's essentially a preseason game. Um, but I don't really have any major takeaways from this matchup, to be quite frank with you. Um, the only thing I will say, and I will uh, mention it later on in the show, is um, just some long-term kind of forecasting about the quarterback position. Um, I mean, that was brutal to watch. Ah, it was next-level bad. I mean, look, I mean, that's the one thing we could take away from that game. Look, I, I appreciate how hard Steve Wilkes had that team fighting, and look, to get a win is to get a win. Carve it up however you want, but that was a quintessential game in which you and I had talked about the Sam Darnold model not being sustainable and it, it proved itself out that was a Randy Fasani like performance and and the OGs know I what I'm talking even, about I would say it's like Clawson-esque it was really bad really bad and it was hard to watch and uh, I don't know what else to say other than this team you know running the ball the way in which they did was commendable taking the air out of the ball late in the season doing what they did to Detroit was fascinating to watch but the quarterback play is not sustainable with Sam Darnold. We knew that. Uh, you and I had talked about it for weeks. And uh, that dates all the way back to the beginning of this season where we didn't think we'd see much of Sam Darnold. We did. Hats off for some improvements. But if you want to compete for a championship, that that ain't it. And we know that much to be true. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I'm going to try to be as professional as I can here. I don't. Look, people have their opinions and they are right to voice them. If this team wants to be a serious organization, they have to move on from Sam Darnold. I'll just leave it at that. I don't think you can win any. You can't win with him long term. Okay, yeah. It, it just you want to keep him on as a backup, two year, twelve million dollar deal. Fine, whatever. But if they go into the off season with him as the starting quarterback. I just, that loses a lot of lust for me. And more importantly, it tells me that, um, it, I don't know. I just, I don't think they're going to be, they're a very serious institution if that's the direction they want to head towards. And again, we have plenty of time to dissect all of these offseason moves and decisions that they're going to be faced with. But I just want to throw it out there. I really don't want to see Sam Darnold play again. And again, I understand there is there was some offensive line issues in this game. Unfortunately, Corbett tore his ACL. And again, that's quarter, good quarterbacks. They can deal with 
losing their offensive line. You're not going to have a clean pocket 100% of the your snaps. You have to be able to um, you know, make it work when the pocket is muddied, and Darnold has shown that he is not capable of that in any regard. Um, again, he did some good stuff on film. He executed, you know, made some throws. Uh, but again, uh, when you're asking to evaluate a potential franchise quarterback, he is certainly not it. And even if you want to bridge quarterback, there's going to be plenty of options this offseason. Um, there are a number of guys that I would take ahead of him uh, just based on you know what I've seen on film and uh, yep. their their own kind of strengths and weaknesses. Anyway, no debate here. <laughs> we 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 were calling this team to move on from this Sam Darnold experiment a while back, and again, hats off to him for having a few good games. But that that's certainly not going to hold up long term, and we we kind of anticipated that. So, best of luck to him if he moves on. But uh, it's time to, like you said, get serious about becoming a championship team because the window will open up here pretty soon in this division. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly open. I think um, we'll see what the other teams in the division do. And uh, I know, you know, Atlanta they certainly have a very nice foundation. They were in a rebuild year and they still won seven games. Which hats off to Arthur Smith. They did a pretty good job. And uh, looks like they're going to be having some coaching turnover on the defensive side of the ball with Dean Pease retiring. Uh, we'll see what happens with the other two teams. Doesn't seem like they're going to they're going to make any changes at this stage. Uh, but yeah, as far as Carolina is concerned, they are in the meat and potatoes of the offseason uh, coaching search. And I think we can say with certainty that Scott Fitter will remain the general manager, um, probably 90% until unless they're able to uh, hire a coach that wants his own. And right now I don't see them pursuing the Sean Payton or, uh, Jim Harbaugh type. So it seems like Fitter is going to stay on as the general manager of this team. And l- let's just start with the coaching kind of um, the team who's going to be picking this because I-, I think there was way too much like the anger that the owner's wife was involved, which I have zero issue with. Yeah. Um, I mean, she is part of the organization and by all accounts, she's not going to be the one making that decision. It's again, she is a co. I don't know. She's not a co-owner, but she has a role in the team. Whether you think it's nepotism or not, that's just her role. Uh, now, Phil uh, Orban, who does a really great job uh, covering you know the Charlotte media and yeah. Charlotte sports as a whole, uh, he did a really good piece on Nicole Tepper's role within the organization a couple uh, weeks ago, and she essentially is kind of like a liaison between the business. Uh, side and the owner she just tries to get solicit input from uh, you know the people who are working for the team and the franchise and kind of check the temperature on how people are doing and i mean that's totally fine i, I mean i'm not going to sit here and uh, critique her qualifications that's not for me to decide at all uh, but again uh, i think that we know now that she will be part of the decision making along with obviously the owner the gm um, I don't know who else from the front office will be taking part in it. I believe Stephen Drummond might have a role in it as well. Um, do you kind of want to break down just the uh, the team involved with finding the next coach? Yeah, sure. No, I think you nailed a lot of that. I did the report from Joe Person that came out that Nicole Tepper would be involved. I didn't bat an eye at that. I mean, I I think fans look long and wide and and reach far for things to be upset about in this fan base, and I get it. But Nicole Tepper hasn't cost this team any wins or losses so far. She she has not been she has not yeah. been. The, I mean that that's really reaching at that point. And I, I I read what you posted from Phil Orban, and Phil's one of the good ones. He did a good job sort of breaking down what her role is centrally to this team. Of course, it's the it's the owner's spouse, and it's not unprecedented that this happens. You look at the Bills and other ownership groups that might be labeled as co-owners. Well, I mean, look, this is the, they're they're going to have a relationship there in terms of. You know her being on the business side, uh, and, and there will be a role for her in this, and I respect that. Um, I think that's the last place you look to get panicky here. I think you, you start with the owner, obviously, um, David Tepper, who who needs to continue, as Pat Kerwin always says, to learn how to own. And owners eventually crack the code on this, and usually they do it by, you know, leaning on good people. And I think you know part of the the people, part of the, the committee he'll lean upon. 
starts with what, what you mentioned with Steve Drummond, who is right there by his side, uh, is now a team executive, started many years ago in the communications department here. And I think Drummond will have a huge say in how this goes. Drummond is a big, from what I understand, part of bringing Steve Wilkes into the fray last year. I don't get the sense that that was necessarily big on Matt Rule's wish list. I give Rule credit for a lot of things, but I think Wilkes was brought in um, from an owner recommendation by Steve Drummond, among others. I know Scott Fitter will be central in this, and I think Fitter from what I've been told here, is a big Steve Wilkes guy. Now, does that mean Wilkes is in the clubhouse's leader? Certainly not. I mean, there's a laundry list here. A list longer than I thought there would be, Billy, of candidates that they're reaching out to. And I'm not opposed to that. This is the same route they took with the GM search. They cast a wide net. It's not necessarily a diverse net, and I'm not talking about the Rooney rule. They'll obviously have to satisfy that. You've got candidates, black and white, that would fit the bill here. You've got Jim Caldwell, who's got a lot of experience, a good offensive mind. You've got Steve Wilkes, who proved himself to be more than capable of doing the job in a short order um, in a very awkward situation. I give him a lot of credit for that. But then you see sort of the theme, I think, of what Dave Tepper wants. And I think you've alluded to this on Twitter, Billy. It's a lot of offensive-minded offensive coordinators. Shane Steichen. You see Kellen Moore in the mix now. You've seen Frank Reich enter the chat, and, and that's a name that intrigues me as well. And, and Ben Johnson, who remains one of these candidates that you, you do more research on and you start to study a little what Detroit does offensively, that, that's a pretty interesting name. But I think Nicole Tepper will be right there in the mix. David Tepper will make the final decision. Steve Drummond will have a heavy say. And I think the whole cast of characters there, you talk about anybody from Pat Stewart, to uh, you know Dan Morgan in the front office, Samir Suleiman. I feel like each will have some degree of input there. Now, how much will the players have in terms of input? I don't get the sense that it's going to be overwhelming. It's pretty clear the players are on a mission to get Steve Wilkes hired, at least the majority of the locker room. I don't think you need to be... I, I don't want to say you got to protect the players from themselves. That's not what I'm saying. But you got to take the emotion out of it to a certain degree. I love Steve Wilkes. If they hired him tomorrow... I wouldn't be devastated, but they need to go through this process and exercise every bit of it. When you when you interview Steve Wilkes, you need to pin him down to what he's going to do to fix this offensive structure. As well as these other candidates, what are you going to do to get this team competitive within this conference and on their way in terms of playing better offensive football, especially in the passing game? I don't think it's one thing. you got to have a guy that can lead, too. But in terms of the structure, that's how I see it, Billy. Yeah, let me just say something on the players' campaign to get Steve Wilkes hired, which, again, we as fans have opinions, and they certainly have opinions, too. Um, the the players, you know, you know, turnover in the NFL is so... There's just so much turnover in the NFL, all right? I mean, players come and go, and we don't even know how many of these players are actually going to remain here in 2023, I mean, if you were to ask me last year at this time, you know, I would have thought McCaffrey would have been here long term or even Robbie Anderson, yeah. but they didn't. And because just the nature of how much turnover there is in the NFL, I don't necessarily think that you should be kind of campaigning for, um, you know, certain coaches to stay or go because like. When you think about it from that standpoint, the owner, whatever you think of him, okay, it's his football team and his organization. He paid billions to buy it, and he can certainly solicit the input of the players. I'm not suggesting he shouldn't. Uh, but at the same time, these players, with all due respect, haven't necessarily been part of a winning culture or organization. So they are not the best barometer of judging what is and who isn't a good head coach right yeah like without question i think everyone would agree that steve wilkes did a nice job in tough circumstances um my biggest thing is that the owner needs to go through his own due diligence and work with the team that he has assembled to you know, circle through every single avenue to figure out what makes sense for the team. And I don't sense this as a situation where you know, 2020, I think it was, where Houston was, you know, in the middle of their coaching search and Deshaun Watson demanded certain uh, requirements. And then obviously those weren't met. And then he demanded a trade because he just got fed up. I don't sense the players if 
they weren't to hire Wilkes will be upset about it. I don't sense that. Again, they have their opinions and those should be heard. I'm not denying it. Uh, but to me, I think that there are a lot of appealing options. And let me just go through them, each of them real quickly. Obviously, Steve Wilkes, uh, Jim Caldwell, the former Lions and he- Colts head coach, Frank Reich, the former Colts head coach, uh, Ben Johnson, the law- offensive coordinator for the Lions, Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys, Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator for the Giants, uh, Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator for the Bills, and Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator for the Eagles. So already there's a trend emerging here that uh, Tepper really wants to look at uh, young offensive minds. Caldwell and Reich and Wilkes are former NFL head coaches, but the other guys are all young offensive um, you know, head coaches. We haven't seen uh, them request interviews with a D'Amico Ryans or um, Jonathan Gannon or yeah. one of these other defensive coaches i was listening to a podcast with uh, charles robinson uh, from yahoo who's very plugged in uh, not only nationally but certainly in carolina um he just he he's he has the pulse of this organization and kind of what the owner wants and he said that it, it is at least from his understanding that uh, the owner really wants a young offensive guy because they need to uh, figure out how to solve the QB issue and he's looking for a Kevin O'Connell or Mike McDaniel type guy to uh, really come in and um, refocus the offense because I think uh, at least from what I was listening to he thinks that the defense is already at a very good in a very good place and offensively that's where because like it's very tough obviously the requirements for hiring a head coach um, if you're a very good, like the Lions, for example, they're going to be facing with a conundrum very soon. And I have a lot of respect for Dan Campbell, but uh, you know, what is their situation going to look like if Ben Johnson were to leave for any head coaching opportunity? Mm, yeah, uh, you know, there's just a lot there. And so, from uh, at least from what I was hearing, it seems like Tepper wants one of those young offensive guys like a O'Connell or McDaniel. Uh, to just you know be here long term and really help elevate the offense, and again those names that I mentioned, uh, particularly whether it's Johnson, Moore, Kafka, Dorsey, or Steichen, they're all young guys. Uh, I mean, I think all of them are under forty. <laughs> I mean, which is yeah, kind of unprecedented. They really are. They're. they're I mean, they're uh, Steichen is uh, under forty. He's thirty-seven. Kafka is thirty-five. Ben Johnson is thirty-six. And you know, Ben Johnson played quarterback for. A high school in Asheville, and he played for the Tar Heels. So he's he's got some local ties too that are pretty fascinating. But yeah, I think it, it's pretty clear. I mean, there was a report that came out from you know again a, a source that I don't consider to be particularly solid that that said about a week and a half ago that I'm hearing that Steve Wilkes um, will not be the head coach and D'Amico Ryan's uh, the, the owner has fallen in love with D'Amico Ryan's and I, I sourced that out and sniffed that out and I had people from the team texting me and saying "Who? what is this this is no this is not accurate and it wasn't and, and you see now what they're doing it's pretty clear and that they could always reach out to D'Amico Ryan's uh, Lou Anarumo uh, and guys like that but I think it's right. pretty clear Billy that they're they're going Steve Wilkes on defense, they're giving him an honest assessment. And then on the offensive side, they're looking at a wide variety of people with a wide variety of backgrounds, including a couple former head coaches that I think will get some serious play here in terms of maybe getting this job right, probably more than Caldwell, I would think. But but you mentioned Dorsey, Steichen, Kafka, Johnson, and now Kellen Moore. That's an, that's an appealing list. And I'd, I'd love to get your take eventually on the podcast. I'm sure we'll get to that point of your favorites among this list, but I certainly... I'm fascinated with Ben Johnson. I'll just tell you that I've been looking at his stuff for a long time here, and um, he's got that local connection. Steichen as well, but uh, you want to see how translatable is what he's going to bring here offensively. I I do like going into the Sean McVay tree. That's never a bad thing. So whenever you can kind of get your hands on somebody from that tree, it's interesting. But um, Dorsey also, again, was with this organization for a long time too, Bill. Yeah, and Jeremy Fowler from ESPN – um, you know what what he wrote today is that multiple people that he's spoken to around the league think the young coordinators have their advantages for a QB starved franchise. Um, so that's kind of 
getting to the point that you know the guys that we mentioned, the young offensive gurus, are uh, might have a leg up based on yeah. the premise. That Just real quick, as, as we come to you live, sorry, Billy, as we come to you live here on a Wednesday night, Mike K reports the Panthers completed their interview with Frank Reich today. So just want to update folks that Frank Reich is officially interviewed with the team. But uh, yeah, go on. Definitely. I agree that uh, J- Jeremy Fowler's reporting kind of rings true to what I've been hearing is that that's the direction they want to lean in right now. For sure. Yeah. Panthers.com, actually, they do a pretty good job of updating this. They did it a couple of years ago while they had their general manager search. Um, so there's been three known interviews that have occurred, Jim Caldwell, Steve Wilkes, and Frank Reich. Um, but again, um, it, it, it's so difficult to determine what who is isn't a good coach. Let me just be clear. The guy, the offense I enjoy watching the most, I can tell you that's the Detroit offense with Ben Johnson. Um, I have... I've just loved what they've been able to do. Uh, you know, Kafka, it's it's a little tough to say with Kafka because they're kind of working um, with a lot of limited options. But the fact that him and Dable have been able to, um, you know, kind of, you know, structure an offense around Daniel Jones and very limited skill talent outside of Saquon, I think that speaks highly of him because he's not running... You know, he comes from the Andy Retree, and they're not running the Chiefs' offense because they don't have the personnel to do it. Yeah, uh, so I think that speaks highly of him. Dorsey, I think he's done a pretty good job of carrying over a lot of principles that were in place when uh, Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, Steichen, um, he appeals to me too because I think he has coordinated an offense with three completely different quarterbacks. Uh, Philip Rivers, Justin Herbert, and now Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. So that that again that shows his versatility as a play caller, and just his ability to organize and, um, you know, really get the details down for an offense. Because a lot of people are concerned with potentially like in the Daniel Hackett situation, the good. I think the upside and the reason why I don't necessarily think any of these guys, I mean, they could be, but the reason why I don't believe they will be a Nathaniel Hackett type is because these guys all call plays. They are like the head man on offense. Hackett was not calling plays. I mean, that offense was run by Michael or Matt LaFleur. And yeah. uh, I mean, you're working with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, like the quarterbacks that these guys are working with outside of Dorsey, and maybe Kellen Moore, it, you're not necessarily working with like, you know, top 10 QBs with all due respect to Jalen Hurts. He's a talented guy, but um, I think just the offense that they were able to create around Hurts, uh, it just gives, I, I think more credit should be given um, to Steichen in that situation. Uh, but yeah, John, I, I really don't have like a preference among those at this stage. I, I'm just expressing that it's pretty clear what the owner wants yeah and that's just my opinion well here's uh dan campbell on on ben johnson and this is according to the detroitlines.com media guide and you know, you're going to get some fluff here but i really do think that dan campbell believes this quote i think ben's a rock star he's a young guy but he's kind of gone a little bit longer harder road to get where he's at he's been around some really good coaches some guys who've coached some pretty good quarterbacks being around mike sherman Joe Philbin, Adam Gase, he was around Peyton Manning. So that's fascinating, too, when you see a younger guy, but he's been in the NFL for a good amount of time, Billy. He's been around for a minute. He's been in some operations that are high level. He's been around some quarterbacks that are not so great, and he's taken them to higher plateaus, which I would put Jared Goff in that conversation. How how many of us expected Goff to have the kind of season he had, at least statistically? Not many. And they end up with a very good chance at a playoff berth. And even what they did in Carolina, I mean, you know, Wilkes got a firsthand look. They did some good things in the passing game in that game. I know they had some blown coverage, as Carolina did. But it wasn't Ben Johnson's fault that the Detroit Lions gave up, what, 300-plus yards rushing on the ground. So that's an interesting hire. And Steichen, that's a great point you bring up about the multitude of quarterbacks he's worked with, the kind of systems he's put together, the amount of play calling he's done. That is central to all this. You have to have some authority there. And and I've always said, and I've heard this too, that if you want some offensive sustainability, you, you bring in an offensive coordinator. And, and this is evidenced by what Detroit is going to go through 
and what these other teams are now going to go through, where their offensive coordinators are going to get plucked, you got to reset that button all over again when your OC gets hired somewhere else. And if you 100%. have, yeah, if you have that head coach that has the play calling experience and probably will take the lead in that department, yeah, I think you very much have an advantage there. So as much as I do admire the work that Steve Wilkes has done, if I had to put my money on it, I would say right now I'm, I'm in alignment with some of the reporting you see now, just based on not on my gut feeling, but what I've heard from people around that operation that Tepper, like you said, is very much leaning in the direction of a under 40-year-old offensive coordinator with true play-calling experience. Now, the next level here is what kind of staff can you build? And I'll be fascinated to see how that plays out in these interviews. We won't hear much, obviously. We won't hear much of anything. But how they present that to the owner, I would hope, would be at the center of all this from David Tepper's perspective. Yeah, for sure. Um, And this is going to tie into Steve Wilkes' conversation, at least for me. I'm going to kind of just tie in what you just said, and then we'll have a kind of a larger discussion on Wilkes' prospects. Uh, first, again, I, I don't know who his offensive coordinator options are, but I saw it reported that Brian Johnson, uh, the quarterback's coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, could be a potential offensive coordinator for him. Uh, by all indications, he worked under Dan Mullen at Mississippi State in Florida, and he seems like a very bright guy, and he'd be... Uh, you know, an intriguing offensive coordinator option. Again, I don't know if this is the choice or not. I just saw it reported uh, somewhere. But if you think about it, if the Eagles lose Shane Steichen, the Eagles aren't going to allow another team to just pluck Brian Johnson from them. They'll just promote Brian Johnson to offensive coordinator. And that makes me wonder, like what is Steve Wilkes's other option? Who else is he, you know, going to look at? Because if again, and let's just hypothetically say Steichen doesn't get a job and he is able to pluck Brian Johnson as a as an option, then what happens if the offense looks functional and Johnson gets an offense or head coaching job the next year? It's yeah. just there's just a lot a lot of turnover that goes into the experiment with. You know, head coach, or excuse me, offensive, defensive guy with offensive coach. And again, I I totally understand that there are more um, layers to being a head coach than that. Um, but for an organization and for an owner that clearly wants the offense to take a step up, it makes sense to go in that direction. I might again. Whatever you think, it's clear that the owner wants a good offense. He's been looking for a quarterback, and he's had to watch putrid offenses led by like six or seven different quarterbacks during his tenure that just have not been able to work. And I don't blame him for that at all. Um, you know, he's course correcting in a certain, at least if reports are to be believed, uh, but that's just one dynamic to keep in mind. Yeah, it is. Uh, and you look at who would be available in terms of like neutral offensive coordinator, Pulls. I don't even know where Steve Wilkes would start. I mean, Bill O'Brien is not taking that job. Um, no, I nor no, I mean, you look like guys like Zach Robinson from the Rams. So he's going to be a name that, that gets some, uh, obviously some run now because Sean McVay is allowing all of his assistants to look for jobs elsewhere. That's a really interesting scenario. And it, make me, it makes me wonder at some point teams that, that might look to reach out to McVay down the road, but that's certainly not Carolina's stance right now. I don't know. I mean, I think it, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I it, what I what I would do doesn't necessarily always align with what I think is going to happen. And I, I'm a little more bullish on Wilkes than I guess some people, but I'm not to the point where I'm going to put out a public campaign for his return because I do see some potential pitfalls there. Um, I, I'm 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 willing to say that I don't know what I want yet. I don't know what's best for this team. I know that. They knew they do need to be better at the quarterback position. They need to be better schematically on offense. They have not been that way in a long time. And even when they had Cam Newton, Billy, it was so niche what they were doing with him, and it was brilliant. But it was the, the run game schemes were very sophisticated with Mike Shula. He got a lot of heat, but he did what he had to do under that scenario. North Turner came in and, and did it. I thought a very good job of piecing together what he had to with, with the Cam Newton situation that wasn't great with the shoulder. 
but but from here on out, I mean, there's just not a lot of names you look at and say, yeah, that that guy is going to come here and fix this with Steve Wilkes to the satisfaction of the owner. And that's all that matters right now. It doesn't matter what I think or what anybody else thinks. It's David Tepper and, and his trusted associates there. They're going to look at it and they're going to say, can Steve Wilkes coach a sustainable product for us? Or are we going to be stuck in 6-6 six and six land with an offense that's going to need to run for 150 yards every game to be functional? And that's not sustainable, obviously, in the NFL. So they're going to have to find a quarterback. They're going to have to find somebody who can coach that quarterback up to the level that can take them to the playoffs and be competitive. And I'm not sure if they have a lot of answers right now unless they go hire a head coach that can do that on his own. It also seems like the Sean Payton um, option, at least at this point, isn't one. Um, you know, given where they are picking, I'll say this straight up, I would give up that pick for Sean Payton. I would too. Um, I don't think I don't think Tepper will, and I don't think the Saints will accept. I mean, I don't know if they will or not, but looking at the other teams, the three teams that are interested, Denver, uh, Houston, and I think it's uh, the Cardinals. Um, Cardinals are probably aren't going to give up the third overall pick. They'll probably give up like a 2024 first rounder. And, uh, you know, the, I think the, uh, I don't know what the, the Broncos have, the Dolphins for strong picks. That's somewhere in the twenties. And then yeah, Houston has picked two and pick 12. So they're probably gonna give up pick 12 if they were to able to lure Sean Payton. But yeah, I would, I would certainly do Sean Payton if that's a viable option. Is it? I don't know if it is for this organization, given that they are in the same division. Um, but I would love it for it to be an option because I think that he would, um, you know, come in here and, and it's still a uh, you know, Peyton, like Jim Harbaugh. These are two guys who have had success in the NFL, taking teams to Super Bowls. Uh, with all due respect to Jim Caldwell, he did that too, but that was a very um, unique circumstance because he took over. Um, the Tony Dungy team from um, from him, and he led Peyton Manning to uh, you know that Super Bowl run. And, and again, you know, Carolina unfortunately does not have Peyton on their team, but maybe they can get someone better. And uh, and then, let me just be clear: I think Colwell will be a fine option, but I don't put him in that same tier as Harbaugh and Sean Payton. Uh, I think Caldwell and Frank Reich are a tier below, uh, for me at least. Uh, but I think my main point here is that you know, this organization, they really have to get this right. They have to uh, be able to just create some type of sustainable model moving forward. And you know, if we look at all these teams in the playoffs, I mean, they all have sustainable, at least to me, offenses, um, even in the NFC. I mean, I know the AFC, they have all the talented quarterbacks, but the NFC has some really good offenses, whether it's in Philadelphia, you know, San Francisco. Yeah, they're starting a seventh-round quarterback, but you know, Shanahan is one of the best offensive architectures, and they have a lot of resources on the offensive line and that receiver and skill position like McCaffrey, Debo, and Ayuk, and Kittle, and Trent Williams. Uh, so they're a good offense that's sustainable over time. Certainly, they have a good defense. I'm not taking anything away from that. Minnesota, you know how much offensive firepower they have. Tampa, you know, for all their issues, they have a very talented offense uh, as far as just their personnel, their skill talent. The same thing with uh, Dallas, and you can make a case at Seattle too. They're up and coming. So I totally understand um, where Tepper in the direction he wants to go, and I think that again, I'm I'm with you. I have no preference on any of these guys right now i it's to me it's just all um conjecture at this point yeah uh, is there a couple years ago you clearly had red flags on matt rule um there's no one in this group at this stage that gives you any red flags is there <laughs> no no not not to that level and again i'm not trying to be you know mocking of, of coach rule I, I wish him all the best in nebraska but that was a leap and I think a lot of people saw it as such. And I think the the narrative that came out of that, Billy, from day one from the press conference was how long it was going to take and be patient with us. And I, I, I look, I, I'm fine with that, even now, if that's going to be your messaging point. Um, but it really did feel like it was going to take 
a long time for this coach to understand the NFL game and to find his footing. And it did, and it, it, it was not uh, to David Tepper's liking, obviously. Some people have even said in the national media that Rule should have been given more time. I think we had kind of seen enough um, by the end of last year, and I think as this year started, they gave him a chance to assemble his own staff. And we saw the rest was history, a one and four start. You can't let that happen. So, no, I, I think when I look at this list, at, at their worst, I mean, I, I can't even rank them right now. I'm not even going to do some of these guys a disservice by putting them last on my list. I'm not going to do that. I think if you were to go in the direction of a Jim Caldwell, that would be the more unconventional route because he is 67 years old, but he's been to a Super Bowl. He's been in the NFL for a long time. He knows offense. These are all NFL guys. So that's my comfort zone. I'm, if they were to hire any one of these guys, I would have questions, of course, but I would not have nearly as many questions as I did, uh, what was it, three years ago now to this day almost, where David Tepper and you know Marty Herney went on for a search for their new head coach and they landed on Matt Rule. And to be fair, Rule was courted by the Giants, and I believe he interviewed with the Colts at one point, and Dallas showed some degree of interest, I think, at one point. But no, I, I of all the guys on this list, I, I see a, a higher level of NFL acumen and an identity behind each of these coaches. And that's what I want to see. You know, some what's your identity? What do you bring? What's your NFL DNA? What are you bringing into this building? And I think there's a level of respect to the NFL game they each bring. Um, and, and with Dorsey and with Reich and with Wilkes, you get three guys that have been in this building before. Uh, with Ben Johnson, you get a guy who has been around a lot of NFL operations, and a guy that is, I think, mature beyond his 36 years. Uh, Kafka, this game could be said about him. He spent a lot of time around Patrick Mahomes, Shane Steichen, a lot of time around Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, and other quarterbacks. So yeah, I'm, I'm good with this list so far. I think it's a very appealing list, and much more so than uh, what I was looking at maybe two years ago, three years ago, to say. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, Ben Johnson... Um, yeah, he's been in the NFL for a decade. You know, he's offensive assistant with the Dolphins in 2012. Then he worked his way up to quarterbacks coach, assistant quarterbacks coach, excuse me, for a few years. And then uh, he was a tight ends coach. And then he was a receiver, assistant receivers coach and yeah. wide receivers coach. Um, been around the block. Man. So he's been around the ringer. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting that Dolphins staff back in 2000, when he was there, had Dan Campbell and Obviously, Joe Philbin and Zach Taylor was also uh, part of that organization back then. So certainly some uh, some interesting names that Joe Philbin was able to uh, put together. And yeah, and yeah. So w- one thing I want to direct our listeners to, if you guys get a chance, uh, there's a really good article in the Ringer uh, written by Shiel Kapadia. Um, the, you know, the title of the article is 10 Rules for Hiring an NFL Head Coach." And it just kind of lays out the 10 kind of philosophies that he has as far as like what uh, you're, what an owner should look for in a, in a head coach. And, um, and I want to go through all of them, but one thing that really stuck out to me uh, was, you know, part two where he says that uh, find a coach who understands what their job is. Yeah. And he references a, a quote from Mike Tomlin, the pivot podcast. And it's, it's interesting because I kind of want to bring that quote back. And Tomlin said, I love to hear coaches resist the responsibility of coaching. They'll talk negatively about a dude that can't learn and blah, blah, blah. Man, if everybody could learn, we'd need less coaches, right? If the group didn't need management, then we wouldn't make as much. <laughs> I love reading draft evals and somebody's talking about anything other than pedigree, talking about poor somebody's hand usages. Well, that's coaching. I don't want to run away from coaching. I run a coaching is all in line with not seeking comfort because when you're a coach that's talking about somebody can't learn, you're seeking comfort because your teaching is struggling. I mean, that, that is probably one of the best things I've heard as far as like what a head coach should be. That's a great quote. That's a great, it's a great article. I'm reading over it now. I never really noticed it until you brought it to my attention, but I would encourage everybody to Google it. Um, It it just, it, it comes back to like, again, I don't want to sit here and, you know, bash former coaches. And it's not just Matt Rule. There were other coaches part of this organization who, you know, they they always look to make excuses about personnel and blame execution. And I think one of the first things a coach should do is get the players to execute. I mean, don't get me wrong. Talent obviously matters, but players fail because coaches fail. 
Yes. I think yes. that, I mean, look at the team. Tomlin had a very average roster this year in 16 freaking years. He's never had a losing record. I mean, that's unprecedented. Oh, it's, and, it's the standard. I mean, I mean, Belichick, obviously, with the rings, but Tomlin, I mean, you talk about sustained success. So David Tepper has always preached. That is it. I mean, to, to, to always have your team for, for two decades now in a position in December to challenge for a playoff berth is it. I mean, it's absolutely it. I mean, in Tomlin, you know, people in, in Pittsburgh, the media, the fans do get impatient. But, man, be careful what you wish for because that is a hard one to find. Uh, in that same article from The Ringer, I think number 10 is really important here. Define the coach-GM power structure. And that that needs to be sort of understood. And I think it it seemingly will be. I mean, these are candidates coming in that – don't appear to be in line to want full control they'd be best suited not to dip their wick into that and i think it's a big part of the reason billy that the reporting came out from jonathan jones that that suggested jim harbaugh and his representation reached out to carolina and and reportedly carolina just hit the pause button on that and said no not interested now (laughs) personally you know i think we're big fans of jim harbaugh but that doesn't come without some degree of drama and risk, and I think it comes down to maybe David Tepper looking at what he's got in the building in his front office versus one man who's going to come in and want to wipe out a lot of that. And I think Sean Payton might fall into that category too. So to me, I don't know if you're not better off just taking a chance with one of these candidates we've listed and giving this front office an honest chance without Matt Rule meddling in the process to see what they can do. This will be the first year they've been able to try to do that. And Kid yourself not. Matt Rule's power diminished somewhat last year, but he still had contractually final say over the roster. So I think that's a big dynamic to this whole thing, too. Yeah, for sure. And the names that we've given, these, like you said, these aren't as much as you and I both really uh, want Sean Payton or Jim Harbaugh. It just seems like they're not going to go down that road. Um, I mean, it kind of makes sense too, just because the owner. I'm not going to sit here and try to make, um, you know, excuses for a billionaire, but he is still paying off. I, well, I'll leave, I don't know what the details are with the the Nebraska contract, but I don't. I don't think he wants to continue to spend you know a fortune on head coaching salaries until he knows that he has a good head coach. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. I, I think. There's a this is a big moment for for Tepper. Look, I mean, you, as an owner, you you've got to do what's best for you, and you've got to do what's best for your operation in your own eyes, and that's all that matters. And um, I'll just say the the list I've seen so far, I'm I'm very pleased with. I'm, I have no objections to any of these guys, and if they landed on any number of these candidates, including the the current interim head coach who um, has done this before. I wouldn't be devastated. I wouldn't be like, oh, God, here we go again. It's going to take a long time to overcome this. But I think there are degrees you can look at within that list, and I'll continue to evolve my opinion of this list as it continues to progress here um, in terms of who would I prefer over some others. And I think Ben Johnson, to me, remains – If I just, I'll just say it right, right now. I think Johnson and Steichen are probably the two favorites. Um that's not based that's on what, uh, that's what Ben all, Benjamin Albright has said that too. Yeah, I mean that's uh, from people I talk to as well. Albright's got his finger on this pulse. That that just feels like where everybody's kind of leaning right now. And that's not to slight anybody who's getting an interview that should be given the fair process. We'll see if second interviews are conducted as well. That's always fascinating. But that that really feels like it's coming down to the young offensive coordinators that are on this list. Steichen and um Ben Johnson are, are really high on Tepper's list from what I hear. And it makes sense too. Again, last time you know, Tepper, he—I don't know who he interviewed. McCarthy, Bienemy, um, Mc, I think he was supposed to interview McDaniel's, but he got so infatuated with yeah that rule. Josh, that, Josh was on the docket. On the Josh was on schedule, and and they they gave rule the offer, and they canceled that one. So, I think that Tepper is going to um, very—he's going to slow play slow play this process, and he should. Interview everyone. Don't be just hiring people on the spot just because you had a good dinner with him at his house or no, something like no, that. Don't do that. Please interview everyone. 
<laughs> you, you know, just don't do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> but but you get my point though. Just yes, go through the process. And I thought they had a pretty thorough GM search too, for that matter. They they yeah. went through that entire ordeal interviewing plenty of guys and they had second round of interviews and uh finally landed on Fitterer. Um but I thought, you know, whatever the results of how you feel about Scott Fitterer, that certainly seemed to be a thorough process and i think that he you know just in my own experience and what i think he's going to do now i think he wants to uh, be very very thorough and leave no stone unturned within this process here sure now let me ask you this now on on the current staff no matter who they bring in and coaches are going to want to have their say in who their staff is and they should but would there be any assistant coaches that as an owner you would kind of say hey these two guys, these three guys are staying. Is there anybody on that on that list right now that you'd say, "Hey, I'd bring them back no matter what"? Um, see, that's tough because, like, I would tell you, James Campman has done a pretty admirable job. Yeah, but what if you can get like Mike Munchak? Yeah, you know, like, that's what if point. you get one of these other really top um, offensive line coaches? Yeah. Uh, but again, I don't really see too much in here that you know appeals to me. Like with all due respect, I don't really know these coaches and and what they do, um, you know, on a day to day basis. Certainly, Tabor has made a very good case, and Tabor has been around the NFL um, in various capacities on various NFL staffs. So he certainly has a um, you know, kind of respect factor across the league. Um, so I don't know, but the, but I'll say this: I don't think there's anyone on here that I would 100% keep. Again, Campman is the one guy, but if they were able to um, find an upgrade, I think that would work. I think, especially with Steichen, uh, you know, there's one of um, you know the offensive the one of the assistant offensive line coaches in Philly. Uh, honest NFL keeps talking about him. Um, he he believes that, that he is a very uh, viable offensive line coach right now. He's working under uh, Jeff Stoutland, who, in my opinion, is the best offensive yeah. line coach in the he, NFL. He's without the question. standard. He's the standard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he mentioned that there was like an assistant offensive line coach uh, that should be getting consideration. I think his name is. I'm looking it up here. Oh yeah, here it is. Roy is is. Oh yeah, Roy Iston. Yeah, Roy yeah, Roy's fine. Roy, no, Roy's a guy. And I'm glad you brought. I, I've forgotten all about it. Honest NFL on Twitter, and, and you and I both know this guy pretty well. He's well connected with the Eagles. He used to work for them. Yep. I don't know who he is, but he used to work. For yeah, them. no, he's a mystery man. But he, he's his credentials are, are clear by what he posts and some of the um, material he shares. Um, Roy is, is a fascinating name, and that is a great one to keep an eye on, Billy. I'm glad you brought him up. Roy Isfahn has been a, a veteran of 33 years around the NFL. It's his fourth year with the Eagles. He's the assistant offensive line coach. And if you know anything about the way Jeff Stoutland operates and the amount of schematic <laughs> things they do, man, they've developed some guys. Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, among others. Yeah, that that would be an instant like phone call you make if you're Shane Steichen to say, hey, could we interview Roy Istvan for our offensive line position, maybe even associate head coach? I don't know how highly he thinks of him. Then you have to see how the OC thing works out as well. I hate... Shane uh, and Scott Turner go back. I'm just saying, and Scott was just fired. Yeah, Norv hired him. Yeah. Uh, oh, Norv oh. Turner hired um, him when, actually, way back when the team yeah. was still in San Diego. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But no, the honest NFL, he says that if if Steichen is hired anywhere, wherever, there's a good chance he brings Roy Statlin's right hand man. And one thing he also told me is, or one excuse me, thing he tweeted. I think this was back in September. Uh, the honest NFL said, I am, I'm not one for hiring a scheme or experience someone may have, but the fact that Jeff Statlin's assistants haven't been poached, is truly puzzling. He's literally the most valuable offensive line coach of the past couple decades in terms of production. Yes. Uh, and that, again, that's a guy that we, I'm glad you brought Roy's name up because it's a guy even back to last year that I was talking about um, based on the recommendation of honest NFL on Twitter that if you're looking for a good old line coach, look into the Eagles' DNA and and see who's helping Jeff Stoutland run what they run, and that would be Roy Istvan. And um, I'm surprised Roy didn't land down in Jacksonville. 
um, to be honest. That, that was part of the discussion there, I think, with Doug Peterson. But no, Jeff, Jeff Stoutland's done a great job there. And then you'll, you'll have to look deeper into that Eagle staff. That's a fascinating thing to do because we'll get into that discussion. If they do hire Shane Steichen, you, you look into the staffing and if you find the lower level uh, assistant coordinator, assistant uh, position coach typing names, and those could be your first glances of, of who your staff makeup would be at that point. Yeah, for sure. And again, Mike Munchak, he's a free agent. In my opinion, he is, I mean, obviously he's a Hall of Famer. Like, there's no question about it as a player. Yeah. He's one of the uh, greatest offensive linemen of all time. Um, but he is also just a tremendous offensive line coach. Uh, I think he is arguably up there. He's probably not better in Stoutland, um, but just hearing what he's done. Um, you know, in Denver, Pittsburgh, and Tennessee, uh, I think he is the, the gold standard at, in the offensive line uh, coach department. So, so that's what I mean. Again, I'm to get back to your original question. You know, obviously, if you have an opportunity to hire like a Munchak or um, Roy, then you take that opportunity and hire those guys. But there isn't anyone on here that I would keep. And if you can't get anyone better than that, then probably keep Camden as the offensive line coach. But again, it depends on what. Um, you know, what the coach in this situation wants and uh, what type of staffing decisions he wants to make. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I stand. I mean, did you have anything on that? No, I, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, look, you, the candidates it's a pretty, so far. It's a pretty light staff as it is. Yeah, it is. And I I, I appreciate your input on that because it, it was, to me, it, it kind of, it reminded me that, hey, when you bring in a new head coach, they're going to want to at least shop for the groceries in terms of their own staff. You can't force their hand with as, as admirable of a job as James Campen and Chris Tabor have done. Those two in particular, uh, they're going to want to bring their own guys in. So um, I think when you look at that, maybe Ben Johnson or, or Kafka or, or Steichen, if they are the guys, or maybe even Ken Dorsey, don't rule him out. Maybe they look at, at James Campen and say, yeah, that's, let's not rock the boat there. He's done a good job stabilizing a very young offensive line. Um, Chris Tabor, you know, special teams guys tend to be pretty transient, so um, why not just keep that going? But I will say this, there are some areas of that special teams unit that need to get better in terms of punt returning, though know, I'd start there. Um, but that's a roster construction discussion for a later date. Um, but an interesting group of candidates for sure, wide-ranging and um, – I guess we'll get into the quarterback discussion in our future podcast here because, you know, Ellis Williams is even reporting that, you know, according to his sourcing, that Derek Carr could be an option. So here we go again. It depends on, you know, what kind of stability you have now in terms of the GM coaching structure and how involved the owner is in terms of shopping for a quarterback. The Panthers will pick in the top 10, but again, we'll have to get to draft season to figure out which one of these potential first-round quarterbacks are worth it at that draft spot, or is it worth it to go up and try to move up and get one of the top quarterbacks? It's going to be a fascinating few months for sure. And I'll say this, given what I've seen Ben Johnson do with Jared Goff, if they were to go into the bridge route, I think Derek Carr, Garoppolo, and Tannehill, those would be three really good options. Yeah, uh, Especially Tannehill, I think he would be a very good um, bridge option for them. Um, that's the type of when I'm talking about bridge, I don't mean Sam Darnold. I mean Derek Carr, yes. Garoppolo, Tannehill. Those guys have played in playoff games. They've had success other other places, and you don't have to just you know force them to. I mean, even if you draft a quarterback, you don't have the pressure on them to go out and start week one. You're giving yourself a higher, much higher floor. Yeah. with those three options as opposed to Darnold when you don't even know what he's going to give you week in and week out. And trust me, I understand that you know there's some traits there that coaches and scouts like with Sam, but, I mean, he's played, what, four or five years in this league? I think we know what he is overall. So, like you said, Carr, Garoppolo, Tannehill, uh, I think those would be very uh, appealing uh, bridge options for the franchise if they go in that direction Ultimately, I think that a rookie uh, would have to be my first preference. Um, whoever it is, uh, out of the three, four guys that are currently uh, available, um, but 
I'll tell you this, the three guys I just named, I mean, do you have like a preference between those three, Carr, Garoppolo, and um, Tannehill? I, I mean, I, Derek Carr to me stands out because he's been there, he's done it. Tannehill to me is fascinating because you could do a lot of things with as his athleticism um, that, that fit into the profile of a Shane Steichen if he comes here. I mean, and I think Ben Johnson... You know what? Actually, good point. Tannehill, or Ben Johnson, was on that Dolphin staff when they drafted Tannehill, yeah. and he was with them for... Yeah, 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 they they go back. So I mean, there's some history there, um, and I, I think you know you don't want to run Tannehill like you run Hurts, but you can incorporate some of what they've done this year with Hurts, with the athleticism that Tannehill has. I, I can tell you this, David, Der, not David, Derek Carr. That's a flashback for Panthers fans. We don't want to hear Derek Carr um, does not like to run. He doesn't like to run in structure or out of structure. He is a pocket passer. Uh, same can be said for Garoppolo. You know what you're going to get there, and I think you can operate with those guys. And as for quarterback, look, I mean, it, it's probably going to be Bryce Young, number one overall. Um, he's a little undersized, but he's certainly got all the things you look for. Levis, uh, he's uh, a guy that has a lot of traits that look very good, but I got to see a little more. And then Stroud had a great game, um, uh, great moments against Georgia in that semifinal, and he's got a track record of his own. And then you get into the conversation about Anthony Richardson, a big guy, big arm. I know there's some mock drafts right now have him in the top 10, but uh, we're, we're a ways away from that. I agree with you, though. I mean, you you can't bank on Matt Corral. I mean, I like Matt, but um, that's a Matt Rule pick, and it's a Ben McAdoo pick, and I doubt either one of those guys will be in this building come the fall. So we'll we'll see how that goes. I just want to say, before we do close out, I do appreciate the work that Ben did this year. Um, you yep. know, my expectations for him were – kind of middling i mean he he certainly is an nfl guy but i wasn't excited by the hire at all but i I knew that he would bring some sort of just stability um but overall i thought he did a pretty good job he's a guy that likes to pass the ball a lot and um, for him to kind of deviate from that and become a very run first um you know out running run first offense i think uh it was admirable of him to do that ultimately uh i just think with McAdoo, there isn't enough uh, schematic innovation or upside long term um, for him to coordinate an offense that will be the top half of the league. Uh, but I just want to say, I thought he did, um, again, just like Steve Wilkes under tough circumstances, I thought McAdoo did um, a decent job. I just don't think that he's the right guy for this team long term. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's just how I feel. I don't know if you feel. I, I agree. No, I, hats off to him. I mean, look, and I think Wilkes had a lot to do with that when he stepped in. He, th- there seemed to be a lot of confusion and chaos with Matt Rule in terms of just coordinating with the OC in terms of standards and and what the the identity of this team was going to be. And um, it was no secret that Phil Snow had a lot of autonomy, and Phil Phil got to kind of run his own operation there, and and Matt left him alone when it came to the offense. I think Matt felt an increasing sense of needing to have an identity on this uh, on this staff as the head coach, and he he did his own bit of meddling there, and, and to the degree that he spent some time pondering Joe Brady and then fired him on a bye week on the back end of it, no less. Um, Jeff Nixon had tried his best. He wasn't cut out for it. I mean, it was a bad hand he was dealt. And then McAdoo came in and, and was dealt some weird hands himself, and I thought throughout the course of the season you saw him like you said, he was swallowed his pride, deviated from the pass-first type of structure he's used to, and they played to their strengths. They took the air out of the ball. They played a, a high-percentage game that is not really sustainable in today's NFL, but it worked for that span of time. And I, my hat's off to Wilkes as much as McAdoo for for making the last half of the season watchable and uh, and racking up some quality wins that can give this young team something to build on. I think there's something to that, but... We'll see what direction they go in. I don't think McAdoo's back, but um, yeah, hats off to him for doing a pretty good job here. For sure. Um, we will keep you guys updated as news trickles in um, and try to give you guys as much insight as we can during this time. But you know, with the season being over, there's really not much. Um, you know, The Panthers aren't in the playoffs, so we're not previewing a game or uh, looking back on any either. Uh, so, you know, until they do hire a new head coach, uh, we will come back and then uh, we will certainly dissect 
all of the news surrounding that move, whether you know it's the staff or the press conference and what type of involvement uh, there was. We'll just break it all down here for you guys on the show. And I uh, want to thank you guys for joining. And uh, it's a new year, so new things to look forward to for this franchise. Thank you and have a great night. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.